All right, well, good morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, my name is Philip Brand, and I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad that you're with us this morning. We are currently in a series called Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them. And so what I would like you to do right now is just turn to your neighbor and say, I don't know how this is going to go, but it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, so there you go. There's no losing here when you have a title like this, right? So have you ever been stuck like in between something before? Have you ever done that? I know Greg Quinn here at the church. I'm not even sure. Oh, he's on security today, so we're safe. Um, he, he, um, he had a camper, the camper before this camper, and he was trying to fix something. If you know Greg, he's pretty big, and he got his hand stuck between uh, whatever he was working with, and he couldn't pull it out. So it took him like five or ten minutes to pull his hand out of this thing he was working with in his camper because he's a big guy, and he just kind of got stuck. Um, here are some pictures from the internet that I found of uh, people that got stuck. This is a car fell. It's not kind of grainy. I couldn't find a higher resolution one of that, but that's pretty funny. Here's the next one. Right? There's, there's actually a, a kid that is now in high school that was Tracy Miller's student that also did the same thing in her classroom. She went up. It, it made the Davie County Enterprise. That's why everybody knows about it. So it came up through there and... So she had that happen. And then there's this one. That has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. I just found it and we wanted to work it in. So, so there, there you go. I mean, now Thomas is my hero, right? Because he likes to take legs off of spiders. But no, nonetheless, sometimes we, we get stuck in between something. And sometimes we get stuck in between what's right and, and what's wrong, what God wants us to do and what other people want us to do, and we kind of get in, stuck in between in that particular regard. So what I want you to do is I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. I now have sound effects, like when I say books of the Bible, there's a ding, 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 you know, that comes across. It's part of our tech ministry here at, at Farmington Baptist Church. Just having a little fun. I do not deliver babies. I'm just telling you, I, Ashley, that's not it. However, we do have bowls and water and stuff that started this whole process anyway. So that would be, yeah, never mind. Numbers chapter 22. And uh, this, is, this is a great story. This is a great story. And, um, and you're, we're just going to jump right into it. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, obviously that's where zippers come from for jackets and other places, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, the Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, 
of people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now and curse this people for me. Since they are too mighty for me, perhaps I shall abide to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless, it is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination and their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, lodge here tonight, and I will bring back to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come and curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go uh, to your own land, for the Lord has refused me to go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. And once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. They came to Balaam and said to him, thus saith Balak, of, son of Zippor, let none of him hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, the Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam that night and said to him, if the men had come to call you, arise and go with them. But only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. Now, at this point, you stop in the story because just the verse before, God told him to go, but now God's mad at him for going. So what in the world is going on? This little God was, anger was kindled, is used in three stories in Numbers. Uh, Numbers chapter 11, uh, God's anger was kindled against the children of Israel, and at the end of that story, God's anger was kindled at, against Israel. So that's where that is. This is the next story, and this is actually the longest story in Numbers, where the story starts with this kind of God's anger is kindled, and it ends with that at the end. And then there's one at the end where they recap some of the wilderness wanderings and, and later in the book, and it's God's anger was kindled, and God's anger was kindled, and it's really short. So this God angered was kindled, kindled is, a, is a pointer to something. There's something going on here. So here's God's anger was kindled. Um, the best way I think I can maybe start to explain why it was kindled is um, our family for the last 20 years, my father-in-law owns this vehicle that we call the Beast, and this is a picture of it. This is a Ford Explorer. Um, the back of it automatically kind of slants down. Um, it, it's created that in the last couple things, so that's my... Ralphie Robbins, that's his vehicle. We call that the beast. Now, I have a little project going on in my backyard, okay? This project requires cement and mortar 
Don't get concerned. I have good people helping me and guiding the process. I just basically carry stuff to them. But nonetheless, I go get the semen and the mortar. That's why I have this vehicle. So I went to Lowe's the other day, and I filled up the back with this cement and this mortar. And so the back of that vehicle went pretty much down. And so I'm riding, you know, like this, right? So I'm shooting straight up with the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, this vehicle, because it's 20 years old and it's about wore out, might have 35 brake horsepower. So some of you know what that is. Some of you don't. That's okay. It's okay. So basically what I'm saying is when I press the gas pedal, especially with a bunch of cement mix and mortar in my car, it, you know, you're kind of you're just going, going slow. So I left Lowe's on Haynes Mall Boulevard and turned left and was passing by what I call Home Depot, but sometimes, yeah, Home Depot. It is Home Depot. I usually call it Home Quarters, but it's Home Depot. It's the orange place. And I passed up underneath the stoplight, and I was about, I don't know, at that entrance, like from Home Corners right here. I was about right there, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and I saw this guy on a moped, okay? And it looked like this. Now, listen. If you get a DUI and have to get a moped, that's the one you have to get. Unless you live in California, that's why you have one in North Carolina. Okay? Just letting you know. So this is a moped. Great looking moped. Now the top speed of this moped, I looked it up, is 35 miles per hour. 35 miles per hour. So I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and right now I'm about at Coles, that entrance to Coles. This moped is catching up with the beast. And as he gets closer, right, all I see is this. There's a helmet and eyeballs, okay? So I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I've seen Transformers before. This might be, I mean, what if this is it? You know, that's the first thought that goes through my mind, which is unrealistic. So he catches up with me, and he catches up with the bumper of the beast, and he's right there. Now, that's when I started getting a little bit nervous, because he was really close, and I, I just don't, I don't do well with that. So then, like, if the beast is here, he moves to the side of my car. I could have reached out and touched him. He was so close. In fact, when he got to my mirror, he had to move a little bit so that his side mirror wouldn't scrape my mirror on my beast. Are you you with me? Okay. And then he gets in front of me, and, and you know how cars sometimes do this with your bumper? He decided to do that with his little moped, right? So I'm like, what is this guy doing, right? Not only that, But he is riding that moped like this. His, his whole body is like laid down, right? And when he passed me in the front, that's when I knew he was a plumber. Obviously. So he passes in front of me, and so he... He gets right in front of me, and he doesn't like speed. I'm going 30 miles per hour, and I think he's intentionally slowing down for some reason. I, I don't know what the guy was doing. So I move over in the beast, 
And when I do, he looks in his mirror and goes, And I thought to myself, who is this guy? I'm moving over here so I will not hit you and kill you. But what in the world is going through your brain? So I pressed the gas a little bit more and went just like two miles per hour more. It took me about five seconds or so to get two miles per hour up on the speed. And I passed him. I was just looking at him just to see what he looked like at this point because I just wanted to know. And I wanted to know what he was riding. And so I looked at him and he, and he rolls his eyes and, and, and goes, like that. I have no idea what was going through his brain, but I can tell you this, he had no clue what danger he was in. No clue. At any moment, if I had just gone like this, he would have been off and in the hospital. He was totally in danger, did not know he was in danger. Balaam is on a donkey going to see Balak, and he does not realize the danger that he is in. God has told him to go. He's now, his anger is kindled. The reason his anger is kindled is because one, God had hoped that Balaam would have enough sense to stay at home. God had already told Balaam not to go. But the money that was offered, Balaam just wanted to go and he wanted to connect with Balak. Have you ever done this with your kids? Have you ever like, Okay, they keep pushing and pushing and pushing to do something, and finally you just say, okay, just go ahead and do it. Hoping that they would make the right decision not to do it. But then they make the decision to do it, and now it's a catch-22 because you've said, okay, just go ahead and do it, and so they're gonna make you own that, right? But at the same time, you're, you're really disappointed and kind of upset with them because they chose the wrong thing anyway, and now you're rethinking your parenting strategy right? This is what God was doing. God was hoping in heaven that he would not go for it. And Balaam went for it and his anger was kindled because Balaam chose incorrectly. So Balaam is on a donkey and he doesn't realize the danger that he is in. So verse 22 But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now, when he was riding on the donkey, and his two uh, servants were with him, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. So what's going on here is that um, Balaam is wanting to go and the donkey sees the angel and he turns aside. So that's the first time. Here's the second time, verse 28. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Okay? So you have the first time she turns, to the, she turns aside, doesn't want to go any further. They get to this path. The angel of the Lord stands in front of them. And again, Balaam gets upset at the donkey and strikes the donkey. He's frustrated, and then he begins to strike the donkey. And then the next verse says, in verse 26, the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place 
but there was no way to turn either to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. So go two slides in from this point. So here is the donkey, and the donkey is stuck in between God and Balaam. The donkey sees an angel of the Lord with his sword pointing out and ready to go, and Balaam does not see that at all. This is what it says. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you? that you have struck me these three times. Now, there's nowhere in Scripture where Balaam stops and says, wait a minute, there's a donkey talking to me. Nowhere in Scripture. He's not even thinking that. He, 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 this donkey talks, and immediately, he feels like he can talk back, okay? Next, verse 29, And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand. Check that out. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, I am not your donkey, on which you have, am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? It is, is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. Have you ever felt like that donkey? Have you ever felt like that donkey? There is somebody in your life or a group of people in your life that you are trying to get to see that their path and the path they want you to go on is incorrect. And you have talked and you have talked and you have talked. And every reason you give, they give with an anti-reason. And every time you say they shouldn't go, they say, well, we should. And every time you give a reason, they say, well, that's not valid because. And what you are trying to get them to see is that there is an angel with a sword drawn. And the way that they're going to go is going to be destructive. And if they continue to go down that path, it's going to be bad for them. But you talk and talk and talk, but they just keep getting more frustrated and more angry with you because they are unwilling to listen to what you're trying to tell them. Have you ever felt like the donkey? Have you ever sat there and just thought, oh my goodness, they just have their mindset they have their will set, they are stubborn, and they are just going to do this. There is nothing I can do. So all you can do is lay down. You can speak one more time, and then you can lay down and pray that God will open their eyes. It is so frustrating when you're in that position. You did not ask to be in that position, you did not want to be in that position, but you keep trying to tell them and they're just hitting and hitting and hitting and trying to get you to go that way. So you lay down. Verse 32 says this. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. 
In other words, I see your heart, and the reason that you're going is not for good reasons. You're going against God's word to you to stay at home. The angel is telling him you should have stayed at home. Wow. So what happens? The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times, and if she had not turned aside for me, surely now I would have killed you and let her live. Let me pause a moment to say this. What if you're the person that keeps pushing the person that's telling you that you're doing something wrong or you have something wrong, and you keep getting pushback from that authority figure in your life or that person in your life, and you're the Balaam that keeps pushing and pushing and pushing, and actually what they are doing, that, don- that person that you don't think much of, you think of them less than a donkey because you're not really, are you tracking with me? Because you know more than they do, and, and they seem to be against everything that is fun and everything that everybody else is doing. Are you tracking? And so you keep pushing back. What if you're the Balaam and this person is the only reason you're still alive? What if this person that loves you enough to say, don't do that, don't get this, don't go there. What if this person right here is the only reason that you are still in the limelight of the will of God right now? Maybe it's time for the Balaams in the room to quit pushing back against what's right and give up on selfishness and what's wrong. Maybe it's time for the Balaams in the room to quit trying to push to get their own way and submit to what the godly people in their lives are trying to tell them. Because on the other side of the godly person is an angel with their sword drawn. Come on. We push, we push, we push to get our own way, our own way, our own way. And yes, sometimes we find ourselves in in between being the donkey. There's some in the room that do that, that we're trying to get people to do the right thing. But I'd say there's a big majority of people that are the Balaams, that that know God, they know what he stands for, but they're still going for their own stuff in their own way and their own will. And it is a way of destruction. So, the donkey saw me, turned aside, verse 34. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. Okay, this is good, this is good, I've sinned. Are you going to go home? For I did not know that you stood in the road against me. It's not I have sinned because I went on the trip. I want you to notice this. It's I've sinned because I tried to get my donkey to go in a place where I would be killed. That's how I sinned. So it's not really a confession. Then it goes on. If it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. In what world does Balaam live in? To have this kind of thing happen, an angel with the sword drawn, and he's still like, if it's evil. Because every, look, it's, it's like this. You know, you know, Lord, every time I've tried to do something good and I'm doing what you want me to do, you always send this angel with a sword drawn in my life. So I know that this is the way to go because there's now an angel. Come on, people, that's funny. I know every time I try to do your will that you send somebody to stop me. No, no, no. Look, he's, Balaam knows he sent that angel because what he's doing right now is wrong and against God's will for him but he's still not going to give up 
He's just saying, well, if you want me to go back home, I will. If you want me to go back home, I will. But I really want to go. I really want to go see my friend Balak, and he's got a lot of silver and clothes, and I just really want to get paid. Guys, there, there are so many people that are Christians that live like Balaam. There's so many Christians. They know what they are doing and the path that they are on is wrong, but they will not give it up. They've been told time and time again from God's word. They've been told time and time again from people that love them, but they will not give up. They want whatever it is and they are going for it regardless. And they have rationalized in their mind enough to think that what they're doing is right when all the while what they are doing is still wrong and God does not want them to go there. What should Balaam have done? What should the story be right now? It should be Balaam turning back around and heading home where he should have never left in the first place. But he is still pushing God. And let me give you a secret about God. God will only speak to you about the way that he goes so many times before he steps back and does this and you're in his permissive will. He will allow you to go down the path that you choose because he believes in freedom of choice and he will allow you to disobey him and live in a, on a path of evil. He will allow you to do that. I submit to you today, if there's a donkey in your life, you better be listening to him. If there is somebody standing in your way of taking the next step into sin, the next step down an evil path, you better listen to him, turn around and go back home. It is time to go back home. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 says this, But, this is Balaam, was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Anytime you are going for your will and your way and it's against what God says in Scripture is the point that you are going toward madness. You are mad. The next step after that is shopping at Walmart. <laughs> Just kidding. So that's it, okay? So, so here's, here's the deal. So they went on. They went on. Um, so... So Balaam gets permission from the angel to continue to go, and that's when we get to chapter 23 and 24. And I'm just going to lay this out for you really quickly, what happened. He made it to Balak, and this is what happened. Balak takes him to a high point. Um, Balaam speaks blessings on the children of Israel because he can see them below, and Balak gets frustrated with him because it didn't work. So what does Balak do? He takes Balaam to another high point to where he can see the children of Israel. They have all kinds of sacrifices going on during this. Balaam looks out on the children of Israel and he blesses the children of Israel. This is now the second time. Balak is very frustrated because Balaam is not doing what Balak wants him to do. He's getting very frustrated. So he takes him to another high point. This is now the third time. High point, he, he sees the children of Israel. He sees God's people. Balaam blesses because he does remember the angel. He does have enough 
regard to, for God to remember the angel. So he blesses the people that he sees. And Balak gets angry. In fact, in chapter 24, verse 10, Balak says these words. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. And he struck his hands together. In other words, Balaam has now taken the place of the donkey in the story, if you're a literary type person. And Balak is here, and Balaam's in the middle, just telling him what God's telling him to tell him, and the children of Israel, who is God's people, is on this side. So this story has kind of that sort of thing going on. Now, this is what it says in Revelation. Chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Because this is what happened. He couldn't curse the children of Israel. Balak is upset, but Balaam still wants the money. So what happens and what is not in numbers, we find out this later in, in the New Testament, is that before Balaam leaves, he said, oh, oh, dude, Balak, listen, dude, look, I'm sorry. I had to say what God wanted me to say. There was this angel and a sword and a donkey. You don't want to know all that. So I, I had to do that. But let me tell you, I, I believe that God's word what God says is true, and they're God, and they're people. So what you need to do is you need to get some women, some of your women, to go into the camp and commit sexual immorality with them, and then God will judge them, and, and you, will, you will have God curse them and turn against them, and he'll fight your war for you. Balak's like, okay, that's, that's a great idea. So over a period of time, that's what happened. Moabite women infiltrated into the children of Israel and they started worshiping their God and they started doing the sexual immorality type of stuff. And guess who gets paid? Balaam. Isn't that twisted? So in chapter 25, verse 1, to end up the story, it says, while Israel lived in that country because there's little people in the room and they might think I'm cussing. The people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people um, ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal Peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. That's how you know the story is about to stop. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you killed the, those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. And while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting, and when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague of the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. 
So Balaam knew a couple of things, didn't he, about God. He had faith enough in God's word to know a couple of things. He knew what to say to Balak to get him to do. He knew he, they were God's people. He, know if they, he knew that if they broke the law, that there would be judgment. He knew that this was the way, and he told Balak that it was okay for him to do that so that he could have victory. When we live selfish lives, we become mad. When we, our selfishness becomes above what God really wants for us is the moment that we live leave all sanity and become very insane. The moment that we decide that we are going to do anything and everything to get what we want, regardless of what God says, is the moment that our theology and what we believe become twisted. And then we damage people. We damage people. Now, you may be wondering, where in the world am I going with this? And I'm going to tell you exactly where I'm going. And I could not have predicted this a year ago. Are, is everybody with me? Okay? Could not have predicted it. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And then we're going to talk. Okay? A few minutes. Romans chapter 1. And then we'll wrap it up. Romans 1. Talk a few minutes. Wrap it up. We're going to begin reading with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. That is Balaam. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and the birds and the animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity for the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves." Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. That is Numbers chapter 25. But it gets worse. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable, dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. I did not make this up. Verse 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This week, the Pope came out and said that gay people were created that way. I'm here to tell you today that they were not created that way. A long time ago, they started going down a path of sin, 
and their mind was corrupt. Now, I don't know if it was hurt in the past. I don't know if they were abused in the past. I don't know what their past had to do with it, but they have arrived at a point where they have affections for the wrong sex. Okay? It's just the way it is. But this is what has happened. We have a Bel Peor that wants to be politically accepted. A religious man. So what has happened is he took the position, he was in the middle, he knows what the word of God says, that is not a dumb individual. Make no mistake, he's not stupid. He's in the middle, and here's the political system, and they kept pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure, and instead of turning around and saying, we cannot stand for that because the Bible says this, he took the political route and stood on this side, and this is the moment that he became evil. This is the moment. The moment that you do not take God's word for what it says and you side with the other side for money purposes, for power purposes, for whatever, is the moment that you become Balaam and you commit a sin. This has nothing to do with whether or not that you and I love people. This has everything to do with whether or not God judges that particular sin and what he says about it. And if he's already said something about it, that's what the church has to say about it in a very loving way, but the church still has to say it with me? So we have this person, he, he's gotten beat and immediately he turns, not immediately, but over time he turns around and he takes a political stance. But I would submit to you today that you and I need to be careful in the little things where we do the exact same thing. There are times that people warn us about stuff. There are times when people warn us about what our kids are looking at on their devices there are times that people warn us about things that we are doing and places that we are going, and, and we decide whether or not we are going to take their beating and turn around and say, no, this is God's word and this is how I live, or if we're going to join them on the other side and move ourselves from the middle where we are crushed, kind of squeezed, and move to this side and just go down an evil path of destruction. Now, I want to um, just say a couple of things, and I don't normally get this at this level. I'm kind of iffy on doing it now, but I'm going to do it this level. There are things that your kids can have on their devices that they should not have there. And if you have an app, if they have an app that has zero accountability, where you cannot put your eyes on what they are looking at, that is an app that they should not have on their device, and you should block it. You should block it. We are trying to invest in the souls of children with the word of God. You as a parent need to invest in your children with the word of God and, and teachings from the word of God. Do not allow Satan to do the sin of Balaam to you or the strategy of Balaam and say, if you get those kids that have been in Awana to look at this, they will fall. If you get those kids to have this particular thing and, and they get attached to it, they will fall. Do not allow Satan to use that strategy in your home. Take up the mantle of parenthood and be a parent. 
We live in a society where we do not tell our children no. And I'm here today that, to say that you are not a loving parent unless you are telling your children no. Do we tell them yes? We tell them yes. But do we tell them yo? Oh, yes, we do. I was on a, I was on a website this week because I, I just do, I, I'm not going to tell you why I was there. It's nothing wrong. But I was just reading through a, a thing about Snapchat. And if you want that article, it's very eye-opening. Snapchat is very dangerous. And I tell my family that all the time. But at the end of that article, there was this guy that was attacking the guy that wrote the article. And he was saying, well, if you don't let your kids have Snapchat, then they will not know how to handle the world when they leave your home. I do not allow my kids to taste Clorox so they will know not to take it off the shelf at Food Line and drink it like a soda. Right? I do not allow my kids to play in the road because they want to get hit by a car so that they will somehow know that in the future they're not supposed to play in the road so they can get hit by a car. Ladies and gentlemen, there is zero accountability to Snapchat. And Snapchat currently at night is throwing pornographic stuff at your children and then it disappears and you won't know anything about it. And for your boys, it only takes one picture. It only takes one picture. For your girls, it just takes a solid diet of it before they're there. Because unlike the world, guys are different than girls. We have a beast that is bigger than a donkey at war for your children's souls, and they're at war for your soul as well. The stuff you watch on TV to the stuff that comes in, in your mailbox. Look, like, I'll, I'll tell you one, another one. <laughs> I don't know how in the world I get this magazine every two weeks. I have no clue. It is a men's health magazine. Look at me. <laughs> I don't even own a weight set. I struggle with a 50-pound bag of cement to take it in a um, wheelbarrow to the backyard. I mean, I'm, you know, thank God my legs are strong, but up here, no. And if you are strong up here, I can run so I can get away from you. And then there's bullets, but that's another story. But, but I get this men's magazine. It started coming to me, and I thought, wow, this is, this is really good. And on the first, and the first part of it was like how to lower your cholesterol and eat better. Well, not that I'm into that, but I thought, okay, well, I will, I will look at this and see, because I'm always interested, right? I started flipping through, and oh, my goodness, in that men's health magazine, wow. Like within the pages as you turn it, and then there's a smell, like they get you with this cologne, and then there's like this guy, and this, I'm not going to describe it, but there's this guy, and like if you wear this cologne, your wife will look like that, I guess. 
I put a little bit on, she didn't change. But um, <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> I just I just joking a little bit. But but what I'm what I'm telling you is, I got that that was a bell moment. I don't I don't know how that started. And if you gave me that as a gift, thank you for it. But I'm not looking at it anymore. That goes right into the trash can as soon as I get it now. I cannot allow myself to go through that magazine. Why? Because it's just enough of a taste to get you to take the next step and then the next step. And before too long, I'm resigning as pastor. And before too long, you have trouble in your marriage. And before too long, you are looking at stuff that you shouldn't be looking at and doing things that you shouldn't be doing. This is very, very serious. And I submit to you today that I would rather be the donkey than Balaam any day of the week. Lord, let me be the donkey that sees God and stops, that sees God and warns, that sees God and is stubborn enough to lay down and not go any further. You and I need to leave here today being Christian donkeys. I don't know if you know this or not, but donkeys, and I've read this somewhere, a farmer could correct me and that's fine, but I read this, so this is the illustration. Fair enough? A donkey is one of the only animals in the world that can be domesticated one day and wild the next. If it gets lost and it's in the woods, it will immediately turn a switch and be wild until it finds its way home. And as soon as, as soon as it gets back home, it becomes domesticated like it was never wild in the first place. Did you know that? A donkey is also the animal that you use in farming to protect against predators for your, for your stuff that you have, okay? It is the thing that will go to war and protect its territory for you. When I say that you and I need to be Christian donkeys, we need to be the protectors, domesticated and when things get wild. We need to be the ones that stand in the gap between the people that want to do wrong in our life that we love and God and continue to tell them, go the other way, go the other way, go the other way, go the other way. Amen? So, I think we all have work to do, don't we? We all have work to do. Let's pray.